Hello, I'm Abram Van Ingen, an English professor at Washington University in St. Louis. And I'm Joanne Diaz, an English professor at Illinois Wesleyan University. And this is Poetry for All. This podcast is for those who already love poetry and for those who know very little about it. In this podcast, we'll read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time. Today, we are very glad to have Carl Phillips with us as our first guest on the podcast. Carl Phillips is the author of numerous acclaimed poetry collections, including Speak Low, The Rest of Love, and From the Devotions, all of which were finalists for the National Book Award, Quiver of Arrows, Selected Poems, which was a finalist for the NAACP Image Award, and The Tether, which was a winner of the Kingsley Tufts Prize. His most recent book is Pale Colors in a Tall Field. Welcome, Carl. Thank you for having me. With Carl today, we're going to be talking about a poem by Toy Derricotte called The Minx. And just some quick background here first. Toy Derricotte is the author of award-winning volumes of poetry as well, including Natural Birth, Captivity, and The Black Notebooks. With Cornelius Eady, she co-founded Cave Canem, an organization committed to promoting the work of Black poets in America. Her collection, I, New and Selected Poems, was published last year. Carl, would you be willing to read The Minx for us? Yes, I'd be glad to. The Minx. In the backyard of our house on Norwood, there were 500 steel cages lined up, each with a wooden box roofed with tar paper. Inside, two stories with straw for a bed. Sometimes the minks would pace back and forth wildly, looking for a way out, or else they'd hide in their wooden houses, even when we'd put the offering of raw horse meat on their trays, as if they knew they were beautiful and wanted to deprive us. In spring, the placid kits drank with glazed eyes. Sometimes the mothers would go mad and snap their necks. My uncle would lift the roof like a god who might lift our roof, look down on us, and take us out to safety. Sometimes one would escape. He would go down on his hands and knees, aiming a flashlight like a bullet of light, hoping to catch the orange gold of its eyes. He wore huge boots, gloves so thick their little teeth couldn't bite through. They're wild, he'd say. Never trust them. Each afternoon, when I put the scoop of raw meat rich with eggs and vitamins on their trays, I'd call to each a greeting. Their small, thin faces would follow as if slightly curious. In fall, they went out in a van, returning sorted, matched, their skins hanging down on huge metal hangers pinned by their mouths. My uncle would take them out when company came and drape them over his arm. The sweetest cargo. He'd blow down the pelts softly, and the hairs would part for his breath and show the shining underlife, which, like the shining of the soul, gives us each character and beauty. Hmm. So good. Carl, when you teach this poem or talk about this poem, what is it that you that draws your attention to this poem, and, and what do you think people should notice is, is happening? Well... One of the things I point out to students is how this is a what's called a stickic poem. It has no stanza breaks. It's all one long stanza. And it's also a narrative poem for the most part, telling a story. And I think the challenge of a poem 
that's all in one stanza is how to pace the information out for your reader. The same with a narrative poem, how to pace the episodes of the story, um, especially when you don't have stanza breaks to make that happen. So I'm interested in how this poem has, I don't know, I'd say three, maybe four movements. And it works very subtly. seems to me that the first, I don't want to say maybe 20 some lines, tell the story, the basic story of there were these minks that the father kept with this family. But there's a, a shift. The first shift that happens is in the simile, my uncle would lift the roof like a god who might lift our roof. And that's the moment when the minks are aligned with the family members. And mm -hmm. so we can start to make an equation that the minks in their little house are kind of like the family members in their own home. And the mm -hmm. father is equated with the God. So he has great power, not over, not just over the minks, but over the family. So fine. Then we get mm -hmm. the, the next movement where he's looking for this escaped some of the escaped minks, and he describes them as wild, never trust them. But that line to me means something so much different. Now that I start to think that the minks are kind of like the family, does it mean that mm. the father's children are wild? They should never be trusted. Um, and suddenly we move from there to the speaker. Before it was we, the we plural of the family, but suddenly an individual speaks up and we have every afternoon when I put the scoop of meat out. So I think that's another movement. And what I'm interested yeah. in there is how the I appears right after we've been told the minks are wild. So that juxtaposition mm -hmm. for me suggests that the speaker is wild as well, doesn't conform. And it's interesting how the minks respond to the speaker there. I'd call to each a greeting and their small faces would follow as if slightly curious before the minks always ran away or hid themselves from mm -hmm. the family. But now they speak, they come out to the speaker as if they recognize something of themselves. So again, mm -hmm. it's another aligning of the speaker with the minks. So when the minks arrive, the next movement is they've been slaughtered and turn into trophies. And I feel like, this is where the poem becomes about so much more than just, just a father who raises minks and gets them turned into to trophies. But is something that's being said about family life and the power that fathers have over family members, the, the risk of being a child who maybe is wild or doesn't conform. And it's nothing's said. It's not like there's a summation. But it's a poem that provokes. It seems to just tell a story, but it provokes further thought about what do we mean about family and power and power structures, I suppose, who owns whom. So all of that comes out. And to me, one of the most magic parts of the poem is how it switches from being a narrative poem. At the very end, it becomes sort of a meditative poem where it moves into this abstraction and starts talking. It hasn't been abstract throughout. It's just all very concrete details of story. Mm -hmm. But then we have this moment where he blows on the hairs and we see the skin beneath as the shining underlife. And suddenly the soul is being brought up. The shining of the soul is like this. And it gives us each character and beauty. I guess I love a poem that resonates like this at the end where it doesn't conclude 
so much as give me something to start thinking more about, like what's the relationship between the skin and the soul. And it's saying something about what's hidden beneath. We saw what was hidden beneath the roof of the mink house. And there's what's hidden beneath the walls or behind the walls of a family's house, but also something that's hidden beneath the, the exterior, the fur of the minks. And so beneath the fur, we have the skin and presumably beneath the skin, the soul. It's all very, it's, it makes it, it's much more complex than it seems. And I love a poem like that. As you can see, I can't stop talking about it. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it's amazing to me, the, the levels of interior and exterior that go all the way through this poem. But as we get to the end there, I mean, one of the things I notice about what you're saying, even as it gets more abstract, it it sort of ends on this philosophical point. It also ends on an individual point. So in the beginning of the poem, we have a lot of they, the minks, they're all just this big group of things. Uh Uh And at that moment, when we turn to the I that you're talking about, I'd call it to each agree. And that's where we first get the word each. So they become a kind of individual. And that we return to at the end. Uh, when it says the shining of the soul gives us each character and beauty. They're not just this composite mass of things. Each one uh-huh. is an individual. Each one has character. Each one has beauty. Yes. And I also notice looking at that next to last line with the word us before the words we and us earlier in the poem, they referred to we, the family members, but by the mm-hmm. end, the us includes the minks and human beings and yeah. Each, of, each of all of us. And so it's like all living things. There's a lot of movement back mm-hmm. and forth between groups and individuals. You know, as I think about the movement that you're describing, Carl, I, I love what you're saying about the, the subtle shift from a they to an I to a we. And if we look at the beginning of the poem as well, there's just a simple fact that I find astonishing. In the backyard of our house on Norwood, there were 500 steel cages lined up there were so many of them just uh-huh. the sheer quantity the number of these animals that were living in the backyard is amazing to me and to think of each of them having this distinct life in captivity and the relationship that the humans have with them is uh, extraordinary from beginning to end yes i agree and i think it's appropriate to read the, the epigraph that starts the book captivity Mm-hmm. that she begins with is, but even when I am at a loss to define the essence of freedom, I know full well the meaning of captivity. And then this poem takes us into that. And what's interesting, so in an interview with her, I noticed um, they asked her whether she thinks at the level of collection, when we put poems together, they're not just single individual poems, but what is their relationship to one another across a collection? Mm-hmm. And she said, I think on the on the level of collection, she says, in a way, they're each a sort of mass uh, there's an introit, there's an offertory, there's a communion, there's a blessing. And she says, I think oh. that pattern from childhood is in me. And so if we think of this as one of the first poems or the first poem in the book, Captivity, it, it's yeah. our entrance into this question of uh, what the epigraph is really talking about, which is, it's hard to define freedom, but I have known uh, captivity. Mm-hmm. Yes. I Yeah, I'm looking, I have the book in my hands and I'm thinking about how the Minx is the first poem. The next one is called Black Bottom, which is a neighborhood. And the next one is Poem for My Father. The next one is My Mother Dressing. So just to say that, yeah, it's interesting how she opens with this poem that is ostensibly about these minks, but she does make the connection to family. And then it 
it's almost like, yes, the introit. And, and then we begin to look at the family members, the neighborhood where people, people's families lived. I'd never noticed that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, could we talk for a moment about individual lines? Because sometimes you get the question sure. when you have a, um, a poem with no set rhyme scheme like this one, and it's one long stanza, sometimes students will give the question, well, what determines where a line should break or why a line should break? And there were a few moments uh, in this poem that really struck me for how they get situated as a line unto themselves. So for example, just to give one example, when she shifts to talking about the uncle lifting the roof uh, to look down on the minx, she inserts the one short line, just four words, sometimes one would escape right in between the lifting of the roof and him going down on his hands and knees to look at them. And so it's almost mm -hmm. as though the, the line itself, this one short line of four words is a kind of escape uh, uh, built into that action of him lifting the roof and going down on his knees to look at them. So that's just one moment yes. where I thought these, the, the, these line breaks are really doing work for us in the poem. Yeah, they are. And I think the opening is very cinematic in that sense. Um, it's the wide view lens at first. There's in the backyard of the house. Inside that backyard are these cages. Inside each cage is a wooden box. Inside the wooden box, or to each wooden box, is a little roof. Mm -hmm. So teles telescoping. And she does that here with line breaks. So it's how I always explain line breaks to my students is they're a form of delivering information, and you can decide how much rope, in a sense, to pay out or to hold back, to kind of control what your reader sees. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's you're right. It doesn't have rhyme and those things um, operating, but that makes the line breaks all the more important. One other thing I, I see happening with those line breaks are places where if you set the line apart, it's saying one thing, but then juxtaposed with the next line is a, is a jarring contrast. So for example, uh, I don't know, about 10 lines in, it says, they knew they were beautiful. That's a line unto mm -hmm. itself. And so you, it, you could pull that line out as a line unto itself with a, with a ton of meaning in it. But then if you look at the next line, it says, and wanted to deprive us. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you get one uh -huh. line, they knew they were beautiful. And then you get this juxtaposition with the next line, wanted to deprive us. Yes, it's an example of another, because the one use of line break is to do the thing I mentioned about the cinematic control. But another one that's more interesting is where you point out, Abram, where the line misleads us. We So the line break leads to surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, they knew they were beautiful. And then we're surprised that it's and wanted to deprive us. I loved all the line breaks. I love the way it moves down the page. And I also love what happens inside the lines with sound. So uh, just after the lines you're describing, uh, I love that, that two-line sentence, in spring, the placid kits drank with glazed eyes. I like the openness of those sounds, really. It's, it's so, that image stuck with me a lot, in part because the image is so precise and so nicely done, but also the sounds really just elongated my thought on it for a while, you know? And, and then on the next sentence, sometimes the mothers would go mad and snap their necks. Yeah, you know, those moments you point out, Joanne, are the sound slows, slows reading. Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes it takes more time to say drank with glazed eyes compared to would go mad and snap their necks. And mm -hmm. so it's interesting, there's a juxtaposition of speed 
Or the other part you point out, each afternoon when I put the scoop of raw rich meat, meat rich with eggs and vitamins, eggs and vitamins, I think there's something about the NS and the GS that it takes longer to say those words. So, But also there's two lines that have been devoted to what the food is. And then we get this kind of staccato, I call to each a greeting. So suddenly it becomes metrically speedy. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a lot with the pacing of the words and the and the sounds of the words, and then um, precisely because there aren't end rhymes, uh, the internal rhymes then stand out all the more. So one that struck me was skins and pinned near mm-hmm. the end. So the skins are hanging down on huge metal hangers, pinned by their mouth, and you know it draws attention to the fact that these are animals whose danger is precisely because of their skin. I mean, they're wanted for their skin. So it, it brings, of course, to the fore all these questions of racism. But there with the rhyme, it brings out the violence attached uh, to the skins themselves. And pinned by their mouths is not an accident either. I mean, when we think about there's no detail that goes astray in a good poem. Yes. It's also the only the mouths were their only weapon. You know, about six lines before that, we hear that the father has to wear gloves so thick their little teeth couldn't bite through. So mm, yes. yeah. just the fact that we can talk this long about one poem is Right, it's kind of amazing, right? Um, would you yeah. do the honor of, of reading it one more time for us, Carl? Sure. The Minx. In the backyard of our house on Norwood, there were 500 steel cages lined up each with a wooden box roofed with tar paper. Inside, two stories with straw for a bed. Sometimes the minks would pace back and forth wildly, looking for a way out, or else they'd hide in their wooden houses, even when we'd put the offering of raw horse meat on their trays, as if they knew they were beautiful and wanted to deprive us. In spring, the placid kits drank with glazed eyes. Sometimes, the mothers would go mad and snap their necks. My uncle would lift the roof like a god who might lift our roof, look down on us, and take us out to safety. Sometimes one would escape. He would go down on his hands and knees, aiming a flashlight like a bullet of light, hoping to catch the orange gold of its eyes. He wore huge boots, gloves so thick their little teeth couldn't bite through. They're wild he'd say, never trust them. Each afternoon when I put the scoop of raw meat rich with eggs and vitamins on their trays, I'd call to each a greeting. Their small thin faces would follow as if slightly curious. In fall, they went out in a van, returning sorted, matched, their skins hanging down on huge metal hangers pinned by their mouths. My uncle would take them out when company came and drape them over his arm, the sweetest cargo. He'd blow down the pelts softly, and the hairs would part for his breath and show the shining underlife, which, like the shining of the soul, gives us each character and beauty. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you to the University of Pittsburgh Press for granting us permission to read Toy Derricotte's poem, which you can find in I, New and Selected Poems. For more information on Toy Derricotte's work, please also see the Poetry for All website at poetryforall.fireside.fm. And please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Thank you for listening, and thank you, Carl, so much for joining us today. Thanks. It's a pleasure.